and welcome to Dice and a Slice, the only D&D 5e podcast powered by Baked Goods. My name is Joshua Gould, I am your dungeon master, cheeky lad, and I have got my hair up in space buns. I'm joined today by a slice from the past. Alicia and I have been in Glasgow this weekend just gone, and we went into a cafe and I had a huge slice of chocolate cake. It was like a quarter of a cake, Mm -hmm. it was about five inches tall it had gingerbread stuck out the top of it had shortbread stuck out of it it and it was the moistest most delicious yummy unctuous cake i've ever possibly ever ever had it was so good it looked just like the cake out of matilda you know that chocolate cake that just looks super moist and super chocolatey i was thinking of the cake from matilda when you said yeah. giant yeah. chocolate oh, cake yeah. I was like, it was huge it was divine you know how you have those really visceral memories from childhood of relating to food (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay I know that you live to forget Josh but (laughs) everyone else do you remember when you had you know childhood feelings yeah and there would just be like that food like um in hook the imaginary food that they had and it was like play-doh but yep. it's so visceral or like the um uh, a mouse dunking a biscuit in the aristocats no. yeah. for the creme yeah, de la yeah, creme yeah. a la edgar a la edgar even yeah 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 that's the feeling that your cake description is giving me and that's how it felt in my body it was so good mm. so shout out to grow uh, it's not in Glasgow, but it's Glasgow adjacent. Is it adjacent? What was it, like 40 minutes from Glasgow? I have absolutely... It's like a 40-minute drive, yeah. It was near the beach, and it was idyllic, and there was dogs there. It was a great time. I think if you're an American, it's adjacent. So for oh, all yeah. Yeah, American that's listeners, that's, there you go. It was Glasgow yeah. adjacent. Was Glasgow nice? Because I play um, a Scottish character in another game, and he's not from Glasgow, and therefore he's quite rude about Glasgow on occasion, because I feel like that's sort of, you know, you have to be rude about everywhere in Scotland you're not from yeah. if you're from somewhere else. Same with any country, any city, you know what I mean? So I've, I've, I've had a lot of undeserved anti-Glasgow comments purely because... He's from Edinburgh. <laughs> sure. Glasgow's okay. It's no Edinburgh. I knew it! <laughs> we didn't see much of it, but it had a great pizza takeaway place and a great pub. That's all you need, really, isn't it? And a great pasta place as well. Oh, yes, that was Glasgow. Lots yeah. of really good restaurants in Glasgow. Rubbish Christmas market, though. Wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Um, some, someone else introduced themselves. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm Alice. I play Hendrix, and my favourite Christmas market that I've ever been to... Probably in Hamburg, because obviously they know what they're doing. Sure. Oh, yeah, they, they yeah, would do, yeah. that was really good. That was, that really, was good. really, really good. We went there for our honeymoon, and mm. we still have oh. them. You could get basically these mugs of mulled cider, and you'd pay like a pound for the mulled cider or the mulled wine, and you'd pay 20p cover charge. And that's because you could keep the mugs nice. and it was in this lovely little barn wasn't it right in the middle of the market yeah. all hay straw bales and oh that that was whimsical that, that was, was so really nice. whimsical so nice. perfect honeymoon germany knows how to do a christmas market copenhagen also knows how to do a good christmas market yeah that was really that good. was very good they had glug there oh yeah do you like a bit of glug but yes my slice today is a slice of carrot cake it's just morrison's <laughs> own you know very uh very traditional mm-hmm. but after our bake-off review i was really having a craving for carrot cake you know yes. I was thinking about all yeah. the different <laughs> flavour combinations they've done in their carrot cake and I was thinking about that gross batter we saw and yeah. um, really made me want some and I, I don't know though this is nice but it's a bit 
too raisiny. It's got a lot of raisins in it. Which oh, no. It does have a lot of raisins. They over-raisin. It, it's not really, I don't think raisin flavour as the primary flavour when I'm thinking carrot cake, but it really dominates it. Really? Having a couple raisins, I will forgive, but when they put more raisins in than anything else, I'm like, sir, this is not a fruit cake. It tastes like a ginger cake with raisins in rather than a carrot cake. Mm. Oh, see, I disagree. I, I do agree that there are a couple too many raisins in there. Hi, by the way, I'm Jazz and I'm playing Skyler. I was going to say, if you don't say who you are, you don't get an opinion. <laughs> I, I've, I've announced myself and now I can continue with my opinions. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that it is quite heavy on the raisins, but I will forgive it for all its sins because it has some of the tastiest cream the cream uh, cheese frosting the cream cheese frosting oh yeah the Aww. cream cheese frosting Ugh. is to die for and i love, I love it, it. And filthy pervert i don't <laughs> care whatever josh says as we've established his opinions and thoughts are i wrong. must say when we en route up to glasgow we stopped in to see a friend hi prue we love you um and we went out for cocktails and i had a carrot cake flavored cocktail at this Ooh. bar and it was delicious that sounds amazing also yeah. it's, is this this Prue, the same Prue from Bake Off, because I'm assuming so. No, it's <laughs> no, not Prue. That's what no. everyone cake flavored cocktails are Prue, you know. Mm, you to imagine. No, it was a very cute place. It was called The Lost Cat, I want to say. Yes, it was called Lost Cat. That's right, yes. Aww. Sounds amazing. I Did it. you introduce yourself? No, I haven't. Hi, I'm Alicia. I play Tala, and my cake is also a past slice today um, at the Grow Cafe. I had a Lotus Biscoff Blondie. Lotus. And it was so good. It was like perfect levels sweetness blondie really thick massive slice and then it had some kind of buttercream with lotus Ooh. flavor on top and then a lotus biscuit stuck on it and there was some like melted lotus inside the blondie honestly it just blew my what fucking is mind lotus flavor you know the lotus biscuits the lotus biscuits like if you go to a cafe oh, you get a little I packet i thought you meant lotus like the flower same same i was um, like how are they melting lotuses what no, is happening no they're like biscoff Biscuits. I thought you had the fanciest cake. <laughs> I thought you had the fanciest cake. I was like, holy yeah. crap. Lotus root biscuits. Uh, I'm not nearly that fancy. <laughs> so, Hendrix, why don't you catch us up with what happened last time? Oh, well, what didn't happen last time? We learned everything. We learned the truth of everything. And I'll tell you, it was exhausting. Frankly, if you want to know everything we learned, you're going to have to listen back because I can't even begin to explain. But basically... We've been hopping through time. We've made Jacques LeBlanc real by thinking him up because of reasons. We spoke to Laurence and he told us they've been replaying the same few days in time again and again and again and again. Laurence himself is also an automaton, but he's got enough consciousness to have regrets and want to make amends for what has happened. The Laurence family are to blame for the strange situation that Style is in because they made a deal with Axel, but Axel at the time was actually called Atnev, which is the reverse of Fenta. He's been going through every god, being called the reverse of that god's name and systematically taking him down. And Axel's the last one. So we've got one shot, depending on whether or not you believe in Mesh. To let Larange die and have peace and to let him sort of fix what he's done, we need to kill Atnev. Um, it's all been a bit heavy. Tala saw a lot of concerning things in Akoti. Skylar saw that his family were okay, but he saw some sort of walking cabin. I was very confused by that. And I um, I looked into the past and saw, um, saw Samantha and, and Sammy. And um, 
it's been a big day and uh, we've got to go kill a god now so my demon i will learn the difference between those two things eventually So the three of you have walked through this great portal and find yourself on this spiralling set of stairs. And to your left and right, up and down the stairs respectively, you see individuals that seem to represent yourselves. And when you move, they move. Are we still in the same clothes that we were in when we left? So our like fake our ball gown and pirate gear? You mm. <laughs> Humorously, you are still in your ball gowns <laughs> and pirate sake. gear. Because you've okay. not changed your clothes, you are still in your ball gowns. Because it's, it's the prison realm, I wasn't clothes. quite sure whether it might just change us on route. You know, do us a solid. We've got an amazing showdown against Atnev, and we're like we're in stupid tricorn hats. And <laughs> I feel pretty good about what I look like right now. Um, so um, sorry, Josh, I didn't understand what you mean about us seeing duplicates of ourselves. So the stairs spiral up, and also they seem to spiral down as well. Oh yeah. At each sort of quarter mark, or no, each every sort of sixth mark there's another door that has a marking above it and outside each of these doorways you see us a skylar a hendrix a tar right yes remember when skylar had that dream with the stone yeah okay um so i guess we're fighting a dragon do we need to go up hang on josh said something last time about us racing at nev but we don't know that as players. Oh, so we're running, are we? I'm just checking. Um, I mean, all I said last time was that it sounds like Atnev is trying to get to the top of the tower. Atnev is racing to the top of the tower. You don't have necessarily have to race Atnev. Oh, I see. You take your time. Atnev's not going anywhere. You've got all the time in the world. Yeah, he's going to wait there as a, like a boss, you know, <laughs> waiting for us to reach <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Real boss battle energy. So do, do we just wait here for it to appear or do we try and go up or down? Or? We don't want to fight on this precarious stairway. We want to find a big flat floor. Can we read what's above the doorway? Because there was writing last time we were here when mm. it was a prison. Do you, are you going to look at the doorway directly above you? The symbols yeah. directly above you? You look at those and it's two lines parallel to each other. Do we want to go up and see what the next door says, maybe? That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'll make our way up to the next doorway and see if the symbols are different. As you guys move up to the next doorway, you see the, the parallels of you, the mirrors of you there, uh, walk off at the same rate that you do. And actually, <laughs> as you guys talk, you can hear yourselves... Mm. saying what you're saying. Tala says telepathically, oh, we should speak in our brains because that sound is the worst. <laughs> what, your own voice? You don't like the sound of it? I can't deal with hearing it like 50,000 different times all at once. That's just... It's definitely not a subtle approach. <laughs> no. <laughs> Stealth out the window. <laughs> you guys uh, move up the stairs and check out the next door. And that has uh, what can be described as a straight line on one side and then a line that is straight up to the middle and then the sort of top half of it is bent off in sort of a 45 degree. Oh, okay, yeah. Can we roll history, arcana, anything to see if we can decipher what they mean? Hendrix, you can roll an arcana check. Uh, one of the other two can roll an insight check or one of you can roll an insight check at advantage. Um, my insight is a plus three, so... Mine's a plus five. Ah, uh, go for it. 22, I got a 22. 22 from Hendrix and the insight check from Tala. Uh, 17. Um, Hendrix, you look at these symbols and the, the Axolus use a lot of symbols. It's sort of their main way of communication. A lot of their stuff is to do with written communication using ink. 
but mm. you kind of deduce that engravings are probably just as valid as ink with whatever this atnev is. Mm. You look at it and then you look back at yours and you look around at the other doorways, just from where you are, you can see them. They're all two lines and they either intersect or overlap or they go off in different directions with different angles at them. Right. But there's always a part that starts off straight as you look around and look at these, uh, roll me a perception check. I will give you the full outcome of your arcana check. I just need to need to work out if you see something. Um, 11. You look around and you notice that the Talas, Skylas and Hendrixes around you aren't exactly the same. What? Some of them aren't in costumes. Some of them are... Some of them have got scars that you guys don't have. Some of them don't have scars that you guys have. Different timelines. Are there any where Skylar doesn't have an undercut? Yeah. There's one tragic timeline where, where Skylar is bald all over. <gasps> um, so you can deduce, and you have deduced correctly, that these could be doorways from different timelines, different realities, possibly. Right, so guys, we probably don't want to go through these doors because um, they might lead to different timelines or different versions of reality. So we want to remember which one we came through, so we go back to our timeline. Could we exploit that? No! <laughs> okay. Grass isn't always greener, you know. You can't just assume another timeline will be better, young Skylar. Uh, all right. All the other Hendrixes are having this conversation with their Skylars. <laughs> I'm imagining these symbols are something to do with the weird leg off of the timeline diagram oh that they take. Oh my god, are they relating to the positions on the clock? Maybe. Oh. Tyler, you're looking around and you're seeing all these doorways that have these different symbols. And Hendrix's, Hendrix's theory seems to be pretty sound based on based on your insight check. But you're sort of more thinking about the why. Why are these doorways signed off like this? Why are they allocated this way? Mm-hmm. Why are you guys the straight lines, not something that's crooked or, or off kilter? And as you do look around, you see one of the other Talas. And actually... This Tala isn't mirroring you. Oh, that's even fuck. worse. This Tala's d- doing something slightly different, and you you look at her, and actually she looks at you, and you both like oh. lock eyes. You get a look at each other. Oh. Kill it. Oh, don't like that. And you you notice that this Tala, uh-huh. she's not wearing like a fancy. Well, she's not wearing a, a pretend pirate uniform like you are. I have a single headscarf. Yes, <laughs> I don't no, like this true. idea that I'm a full pirate no, that's, uniform. That's fair. She's not wearing a headscarf uh, with an exquisite ball gown. Mm-hmm. Um, she's wearing just like bloodied guard armor, and she's got burns all over her arms. Guard like guard from Nakoti. Oh, yeah, she never left Nakoti. Yeah, like the Nakoti stuff. Oh, no. And you and you look because her forearms are exposed. This this armor basically just covers her covers her chest. Uh-huh. Um, and you see that like. On her forearms, where the guards get their ceremonial tattoos, mm-hmm. those have been burned off her. <gasps> and she looks at you, and you realise that like the two of you are very different and incredibly the same. Oh mm-hmm. no! Oh, Tala wants to talk to her, but there's literally no way to get around because as soon as I move, they'll move. <laughs> it's weird though. Of all the Talas, that's the one that you're actually able to look at properly, oh. and she properly looks at you. Ooh, all the others are doing exactly what you're doing. Does she look exactly the same age as me? More or less, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps she's had a bit of a more stressful time. Yeah. She, for all our, our Dragon Age fans out there, she's Liliana in um in Hush Whispers. <gasps> yes. You know, ready to strangle someone with her legs. <laughs> Tala's just gonna yell "Hey!" across the tunnel at the other Tala. As you do, so does she. Ah, she wasn't quite mirroring me, so I didn't know whether she would, but she does for sure. 
Okay. Quick, say something you'd never say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, this place is weird. The there's a Tala over there who's not quite mirroring me exactly. What well, scary! Like we kind of looked eyes at her. It's weird. I look round too. And you notice that their Skylar and Hendrix are looking at you as well. We don't all look at once. They'll know we're looking. That's rude. And you look at them, and actually, you guys see that their Skylar and Hendrix aren't quite mirroring you either. Right, okay. And the Skylar has got this... Basically, he's he's just covered in this black armor. Ooh. It's like some sort of some sort of hardened leather or some sort of maybe like weird chitinous material, kind of like shell. Ooh. But but more notably than this armor that Skylar, I don't think you would ever conceptualize, let alone wear. No. He's got this huge, big scar that goes over one side of his face. Oh damn, that's awesome. And and, and you notice one of his eyes. A kind of slightly milky grey. Has still got the undercut. Hell yeah. But the undercut has been shifted over slightly to accommodate this scar to show it off. Wow. And you see that it kind of goes all the way along the side of his head as well. Oh, I, other me has style. Hendrix, you see the other Hendrix. Hi. And that is a very young man. Oh. A very, very young man. Ooh, what? But he's got, an ang- he's got a very angry face and he's got sandy hair. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh, is it Sammy? That's not, is that not Hendrix? Hendrix, you recognise Sammy Hendrix. Oh, how old is oh he? Oh, my God. How old is he? Sammy looks about 15, oh. but an old, an old 15. Oh. Like, that's a, that's a 15-year-old that's been through more than most people go through in a lifetime. Oh, Hendrix's heart just breaks in two and he's like, he both wants to communicate something helpful to his son mm. and yet also is like, he needs to not even see me. It's you too know. late, he's already um, seen you. And he sees all the other Hendrixes and there's there's a look on his face that's like, oh. Oh, he's the only Sammy. I'm the only Sammy. Oh, oh that's oh, devastating. No. Oh, no. Oh, this is bad. He just sort of puts a fist to his heart and raises his hand in a gesture to him for what that'll do. The other Hendrixes do the exact same as you. Well, that's disturbing. so scary. But also, like, imagine being Sammy right now. Your dad's died. Yeah. And then suddenly you're in this space surrounded by your father and they all put their hand to their heart and then raise it to you. Yeah, that's intense. That's emotions right there. Mm. When Sammy sees the Hendrixes, the Hendrixes, uh, <laughs> do that, he sort of turns away ever so slightly, which is difficult to do when you're surrounded by the thing you're trying to turn away from. Yeah. And you you watch as he just sort of brings a like a mask up to his face. Oh, sorry. And actually, you you sorry like you look at me. look at what he's wearing. He's wearing like a long. A long flowing cloak. It seems to be designed to, to repel water, but you suspect there's something slightly more to it as well. It seems like a very protective cloak. There's something almost armor-like about it. And as this cloak moves, you see that underneath he's got so many little vials and mechanical uh, trinkets and and like tools under there. Okay. Um, and there's like a single spell book that hangs off hangs off a, like a leather waistband. Looks nothing like your book. Okay, or, good. Or the other Hendrix's books either. Good boy. This one looks slightly more legit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like, like legit arcane. All you can hope for as a parent is that your child 
does better than you, you know. Doesn't make a pact with a demon. You just want to see them, like, succeed where you failed, you know. It's just, uh, well, Hendrix is trying not to overthink it. He's trying not to think that's the one timeline where Sammy's alive, therefore that needs to stay real. That's the, that's the good timeline. Yeah. Mm. He's like, no, no, that's messing with things we should not have the power to mess with. And I've learned my lesson about that. Does this mean that if the dragon appears and... I throw a weapon at it. Will all the other Talas do the same? That's nice. Mm. And then will we hit it with like 50,000 of the same that hit? That sounds like a very good plan. Yeah, we like that. Sounds like a really easy way to win. I think all of the Talas <laughs> in unison. We light up this tower with raging Talas. Battle tactics always. Even even other universe Tala, opposite Tala, has like the same look on her face as like all the other towers. Yeah. We're nothing if not consistent. Mm. Fuck. Well, shit. The tower begins to shake. Oh, shit. shit. And you guys hear the sound of something dropping, which is difficult to sort of conceptualize to hear the sound. You hear the sound of like air whooshing around an object that's falling from above, seemingly in the middle of the tower. So it is coming from up the top. From up the top, yeah. If you were to peek your head out, you'd be able to see what it is. Oh yeah, well, I, I assumed we could see all the way up. Well, there's, the staircases go around above you as well. Ah, okay. I see. Wait, how far up is that? The staircase above you is about is about sort of 10, 15 feet above you. Um, you don't know how many more staircases there are. Although, although you look across, actually across the way, you can see there's like loads of staircases. This tower seems to go on forever okay. in both directions. Mm-hmm. Hendrix is like, wants to sort of, he looks at you both and is like, um, before we go too far and, and risk fighting this thing, there's something I think I need to go do first. Oh, okay. He looks around at where they are. It's like, I don't know when I can do that, but um, I don't want to risk stumbling into this thing before I've done it. What are you going to do? And he kind of pulls out this ticket and keeps a real clutch on it with his hand because he's very afraid of dropping it in this tower. Um, I I was given a way out of everything with Axel and I don't know what that's going to mean but I think I need to take it before I go and fight him with the gifts he gave me. Oh shit. Hendrix is going to glance at the other Hendrixes and see if they also have a ticket in their hand. All of the other Hendrixes are looking at you. Ooh. <gasps> Creepy. Tana would probably just like put a hand on Hendrix's arm. She kind of looks like she just understands. She always knew there was something with a ticket because we all got that gift. And mm-hmm. whenever we're close to death, you always just like cling at your pocket. Yeah, um, like he's got, <laughs> got something in that pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so she probably just puts a hand and kind of just nods slowly. And it's mm-hmm. like, if you just want to like sit in the doorway for a minute, you know, we can keep watch. Um, thanks. I just... Uh... And he kind of looks, he doesn't know what's going to happen when he uses his ticket. He doesn't know if it means he'll die, but he's very aware that every other Hendrix is looking at him. And he's like, that means it's really important I do this. Because if I don't, none of us do. Mm, none know? of these fuckers are going to. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, maybe all these timelines only has one collective soul. And for some reason, I'm holding that particular ball. Uh. <laughs> All the Hendrixes, one brain cell, and the ball's in your court. Yeah, so he's very like, okay then. Tala will just, she's going to take off her lion's poor scallop, which is her necklace. Oh, yeah. And she's just going to give it to Hendrix to hold. She doesn't know what he's going to do. She doesn't know whether Axel is going to try and stop it, but that will give him help with his wisdom. So she will give that to you for whatever you're going to do. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you. That's really nice. But he takes it and he looks really touched. And I assume he knows what it does as well. So yeah, he he looks really touched. And he's like, "Um, 
I'm sure I'm just being dramatic and I'm going to come back in a minute and it'll all be fine, but um, just in case, I I don't know, just in case, um, Tyler, I'm, after talking to LaRange, I've been wanting to apologise to you for what Axel's been doing to your god and me being so flippant about it and thinking that's fine and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess. Got nothing to apologise for. You didn't know. I didn't know. No one knew. But still. Oh, right. And he, can, he just sort of like gives her shoulder a squeeze, pulls Skylar into one arm hug yeah. and is like... <laughs> Skylar like gives him a hug and kind of claps him on his back and like kind of puts a hand on the back of his head type thing and he's like, you're going to be fine. Aye, well I'm coming back to help deal with this thing. Exactly, this is only going to be a good thing. Tala definitely just like hugs the both of you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he gives you, he gives you both such a squeeze and just like, thank you for indulging me yet again. I, um, if we're going to go fight this thing, I'm going with a clean bill of health. Nothing mm-hmm. hanging over my head. Mm-hmm. That thing points up at the sky where the dragon is. Isn't having any part of me when I go face it. Mm-hmm. All right, caps you both on shoulder and is like, "I'll be back." And he's gonna go to a doorway. Okay, Hendrix, you uh, go stand in the doorway. Tell me what you're gonna do. So he's gonna go to the doorway um, and he's gonna get out his ticket and he's just gonna kind of just he's turned it back to these guys and try to have a sense of privacy as much as he can. Um, okay. And he's probably gonna. He's just there like he doesn't really know what to do and so he gets and kneels on the ground and are just facing a wall and holds the ticket and he closes his eyes and is like, um, to, um, I mean, Flit, Flit, you gave me this, but I, I don't know who's listening and who's not, and but I, I'd like to take that uh, offer of a new start, please, if I may. I know what's going to leave me without any of this stuff I bought from Maxwell and, and frankly I want that I'd, I'd much rather much rather just be a simple vulnerable guy than what I was trying to be sorry for my part in what's happening to the world and um, if that offer still stands I'd like to take it please Hendrix you hold onto this ticket and for the first time really you for lack of a better word repent and you feel, immediately you feel there's a slight weight off your shoulders as you sort of allow yourself to feel this uh, sorrow, this mournfulness, this uh, regret. And then the ticket starts to glow in your hands. And you guys don't see a glow coming from the ticket and you don't hear any of this either as you hear what kind of sounds like a steam train, Hendrix. Um, And then you you remember it's that's that's the sound that the Baldwin makes as it's running along on its eight legs and it's sort of breathing heavily and it sounds like a steam train and it comes closer and closer and closer and and your vision sort of blurs. It doesn't blur, it's like it's being uh, covered with steam or fog. And uh, you find yourself at a train station and you're sat on this sort of little stone outcrop Mm. and there's a road in front of you there's a road behind you and there's a little board that seems to have something written on it you can't read what it says which is weird and you look up and you see you see the Baldwin it's not charging along it's sort of trotting along with its eight legs ears flopping around and you see behind it it's pulling a sled it's on wheels this time because there's no snow around Mm. and you see that in the sled closest to the front, you see the train driver, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. with his sort of navy blue suit and his navy blue hat. And and stood next to him is a an older-looking gentleman. He seems a bit bedraggled. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't look like 
you, Hendrix. So it's good to know. He looks like an older <laughs> gentleman. And uh, and stood next to him is sort of like a, a young a young scallywag for mm. for la- again for lack of a better better word sort of a younger version of this it's the same man but in different times of his own life the three faces of flit mm. the three faces of flit and the Baldwin pulls up and comes to a stop in front of you and man's there and says ah I see you've redeemed your ticket young man now where would you like to go oh um. He kind of looks at the board to try and read it. He knows he can't, but it's like... You turn to look at the board, and you can now read it. Hendrix, you turn to the board, and the first thing written down there is, Before I became a sailor, I was just a man. And below that, uh, the next destination is, I was happily married, but I wanted to be greater. Mm. Below that is... We'll seek our fame and fortune on the briny blue. <laughs> and after that is I'll do anything, just let me live. Oh, man. You feel like these are points in your history, Hendrix. He looks at those. And obviously, as we've learned by Hendrix, his first instinct is he looks at the part of his life that says he was happily married. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing he keeps trying to get back to. And he's, that's what he keeps chasing. Because he's like, that's when I was happy. That's when everything was good. That's what I want. That's all. That's why I've made all these deals. That's why I've done everything. It's just out of grief of losing that. Mm -hmm. But he sort of looks at that and sees the other half of what it says about how he wants to be greater. Mm. And he kind of has this humbling feeling of understanding where, you know, where he's been going wrong his whole life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Or he has a sense of like, I've got to grow up and be a bit more responsible with this soul thing of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he looks at that and then he looks up above it to, before I was a sailor, I was just a man. Mm-hmm. I guess if I'm starting clean, I've got to go there. And he points to it. The train driver looks at you point, nods. Everything else seems a little messy. He, he beckons you on, on board. Um, do you do you step aboard? He's going to look around because he's been a warlock long enough that he wants to double check this weird realm he's in before he trusts it. That's fair. Um, I guess I'll use a divine sense, although that's probably going to blow his head off. <laughs> <laughs> Hendrix, you open up your senses just to see what's going on. And there is a big whiff of celestial about this, the divine. Mixed in with that, there is a sort of edge of the fey as well, mm. and that all sort of enters into Flit's essence of being. Yeah. And you realise that you are, even though you can't see anyone else, you are not the only person at this platform. Huh. To be more specific, this is not the only you at this platform, <gasps> but you were the only Hendrix in that stairway that had a ticket. Huh. As you focus on that, you realise that there are like eight Hendrixes, and you all just chose the same destination. He's very, very glad that he brought them all here. <laughs> because seeing himself holding that ticket, it's like, oh, I've just realised how kind of infinite a soul is and how infinite a thing it is to throw away. You know, the visualisation mm. of seeing multiple people of yourself is like, I just realised how big a person is co- yeah. cosmically and uh, how much you need to treat that carefully so yeah feeling <laughs> that they've all come with him is such a relief <sighs> he, he he looks to flit and um he's gonna he's he steps but as he steps he says what's going to happen but but he makes sure to step as he says it because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to 
you know, lack faith right now. That's fair. <laughs> Flit says, uh, Flit actually takes out a little pocket watch, and flicks it open and looks at it. Well, with that destination, you'll be taken back to a time when you were just a man who wasn't even a sailor. I believe at the time you'd met your wife, although she was not yet your wife, and you will go on and live your life, but when a decision comes up, there will be a gentle hand to just guide you in a slightly different direction. I'm going to live my life again, literally. Will I experience it? He kind of wells up a little bit at the prospect. You'll experience it. It'll be like going back and buying a new pair of shoes. And I guess I won't remember any of this. I'm afraid we can't allow that to happen. Do people do this often? No. Oh. It looks very, again, shocked and humbled by that. Sometimes it's important for people to remedy their mistakes before they make them. Well, um, thank you. <sighs> What's the catch? <laughs> if you take a different path, different things will happen in what you consider the now. If you never get on that boat, if you never get lost at sea, you never ask for help from someone who'll give it to you, you never find yourself in Nakodi on the day that you meet Tala and Skylar, you don't go to the Last Hope, you don't go to Luska Axel, you don't learn everything you learned there, you don't come to style, you don't break a law that's put in place and end up in a prison of time. Wait, does that mean I won't be here to help them in the fight they're doing? He closes the pocket watch and says, and he, he steps off the steps off the carriage. Hendrix looks terrified because he's like, I yeah. said something wrong and now I've lost my heart, I lost my chance. No, I didn't mean it, I'm and sorry. He, he points, he points down the, down the platform. Obviously you, Hendrix, don't have like a concept of a train platform. I'm using that as a, a shorthand for, for all of us. Points down and there's like a little office down there. And it doesn't seem like big corporate office. In fact, it seems like mm. a little tiny train station office. He says, uh, what I can do is limited, but you go have a word with my boss. He kind of grips the rail because he's like, I've been kicked off the train. I don't get no second chance because I was bad. So he's just like, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ask too many questions. I don't want to ask too much. I, no, I, I, no, don't no. Want, I want to get the train. It's completely fine. You have a word with my boss and maybe we can arrange something. O okay. He won't ask anything of you. Well, not in the way that you would expect him to. And he gestures to your little axle amulet. <laughs> you might want to take that off. Oh, I thought I'd throw that away before. He's like, no. <laughs> I guess it's back, maybe. <laughs> he gets it off and throws it away <laughs> so fast. Like, always getting rid of this thing. Um, his knuckles are like white on this rail, but he very slowly kind of like a few fingers at a time. Let's go. But he's so scared, you know, because he's just not used to, again, he's not used to supernatural being mm. kind. And he's like, oh, I'm, I've... I could lose this so easily. So he, he lets go carefully. Mm -hmm. And um, he looks, he's very intimidated by the idea of going to see a boss in an office, but pr yeah. he's got priors, he's got yeah. priors. Um, <laughs> but he kind of realizes that there's a good feeling, mm. just like despite his own paranoia, he mm. gets off the train and goes to this office. Cool. Get there, it's got a very simple little wooden door. It's been painted blue. With some gloss paint. It's not chipping, but it feels like it should be chipping. Does that make sense? Yeah. The glass windows on the inside are slightly steamed up. There's a little brass doorknob. You twist and open. And you see sat behind a desk with like a, a small, a very small stack of papers and a single filing cabinet. There's a radio playing. And, you, and in this universe, you conceptualize what a radio is, mm -hmm. but you know, it's just a, it's a small box that's playing some music or saying something, it's quite difficult to focus on. And you just see this sort of quite 
frail-looking man sat behind a desk. He's got a little rubber stamp and a, and a fountain pen, a little white fountain pen. And Hendrix, you look at him and you realize that this is a man who, once upon a time, certainly commanded a lot of respect. Now doesn't have, perhaps, the respect that he once had and is owed, but also, like, he's spending too much time trying to manage other people that he's not able to do what it is that he needs to do. Okay. And he looks up and he says, ah, come in. How does he feel approaching him? Like, would does he get a sense of... You know, like, you can kind of sense when someone's, like, bigger than they are, you know. You step across the threshold into the office, and as you do your sort of remaining paladin senses, it gets loud mm. in here. It gets... This is a very powerful entity, mm -hmm. whoever they are, very celestial, very divine, and it's almost deafening. And you sort of have to switch it off in order to be able to concentrate. So he comes in and his knees are probably shaking from that. <laughs> Definitely. And so, um, hello, sir. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. And he gestures, in the, and there is there is a chair there. It wasn't a chair when you when you walked in, but there's a chair there now. He kind of falls into it. So, uh, you don't want a second chance? I, uh, it's not. I, oh, I, 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 I think I offended um Flit. I mean the uh, the uh, train master. I, my friends are about to face Atnev and I'm meant to be helping them and uh, I, I was afraid that taking my second chance would mean that I never met them and then I couldn't help them and I, I didn't want to be selfish. He smiles and it's a warm smile and he looks at you, he looks at you sort of up and down and says, so you want to fix the mistakes of the past but you also want to help your friends in the present. I, I, I'm sorry, sorry I don't want to seem ungrateful, I, I, I just you know, I feel like I should be helping fix what's happening in the present to amend for what I did in the past and me getting a free chance and walking Scott, you know, just walking away and, and leaving them to deal with the bigger problem. He, uh, he stands up and says, and sort of he, he wanders over to a window. You can't see through it because it's all, again, steamed up, but he seems to be looking out of it. Hmm. It's uh, quite a conundrum because, of course, it's possible that if if you don't make the same mistakes again that you and your friends never end up there at all. However, difficult to prove. We don't like messing around with variant timelines too much. He goes back to his desk, sits down, opens a drawer, and takes out a jar, and puts the jar on the table. And you see in that jar is, uh, is, is, is you. Aww. He says, uh, when the train arrived, it came with a delivery. And he looks at the looks at the little Hendrix in a jar. Mm. Now Flit seemed to think that uh, this wasn't necessarily gotten the way it was intended to have been, but I think its owner has bigger fish to fry currently. Could you look after it for me? Y yes, th 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 thank you. He gestures at all the, all the paperwork that seems to be building up. Like the more this conversation mm. is going on, mm. there's uh, so much for me to be getting on with that I'm not quite able to have the positive impact that I want to, you see. Not so many people uh, like working in this old-fashioned way. You know, it's like there, like there isn't a typewriter, there aren't these monitors that mm. you remember Axel having. It's just this guy with a stamp and a pen. Slower, uh, more honest result. Exactly. So he kind of sees the slight look in his eye that you had as you said that. He reads mm. that in the guy's eye and he understands what he means. Like, mm. I... So he kind of reaches out gingerly for this jar of 
his soul, presumably. It does have a little Hendrix in it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, so I can go back to where I'm from, but I can take this with me. Well, yes, you can, if you want. You can take the offer that was presented to you by Flint previously. Any of those destinations are still valid, although I wouldn't choose the last one if I were you. That's quite a difficult one to style your way out of. Mm-hmm. If you choose this one, he taps the lid of the jar and the little Hendrix in there looks up kind of irritatedly. Mm-hmm. Seems legit. Yeah. <laughs> um, he says, uh, you will have some work to do. And I won't get to live my life again. And you won't get to live your life again. And it won't... It won't bring people back. Aye. So he, he looks like he's really processing that because it's like, I either get to have my family and have them survive or I mm. help fight the wider Axel problem. That is that is the big implication. Mm-hmm. That is the elephant in the room. He looks at, at the guy and is like, if I leave history how it is, are they, you know, safe on this side of things? Did they go somewhere... Good. Oh god, I can't handle that. Hendrix, he looks at you, and he looks at you gravely. There's an expression on his face that suggests that you probably, you know the answer, and you just want it to be a different answer. Oh no. No, what the hell? And he he says, uh, well, they're not trapped like you are, but there is a place where those who die at sea go. Oh, right. However, there's a way to get there. My own jurisdiction doesn't quite reach out there, but uh, I know a guy. I see. Well, he takes his jar. As long as they're not, you know, in the worst place, then as long as there's maybe a chance to help them. Oh, absolutely. You see, the best thing that any of us can do is try and fix the mistakes that we've made and make the future a better place. He nods gravely and he picks up the jar. Then I think I need to go back and, and help my friends, so... As you pick up the jar, the little Hendrix in there like tries to stand up, but the the wobbling causes him to fall back down again. He looks at you, Hendrix. I appreciate what you're doing. It's very good of you. Some people would have been very selfish indeed. I'm trying to work on that. (laughs) No judgment here. And like you feel like there's layers to him saying that. Before I go, are you who I think you are? Who do you think I am? Feels foolish to say, but are you the um are you the one god? He smiles at you. And he gestures to a series of portraits on the wall. And um, the first one, there's like two kids. And they're just like ha- locked in an embrace. And the next one, there's uh, you actually see Flip stood in the middle with a big smile in his face holding a ticket. Mm. Then you see a sort of quite strong Nordic looking man who's sort of got a, got a, a deer slung over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then you see a you see a, a woman sort of dressed in like extravagant clothes, like just loads of layers of extravagant clothes, and she's also got like a glass of wine in one hand, mm-hmm. and looks like she's having a great time. The next one along, you see someone who looks quite matronly. She's wearing like a full like a ball gown, but the ball gown looks quite rigid. Covered and- in bees. <laughs> Covered in bees <laughs> and honey. <laughs> and there's and there's loads of like children looking out behind her. Like behind mm. her dress, um, and then there's a very studious, very astute-looking man, sort of with a long, long straight beard. He's wearing a suit with a waistcoat, and he's got a got a little bow tie that's got suns and stars on it. Mm. 
um, and he's sort of leaning against a chair. He's got glasses in one hand, as in like spectacles in one hand and like an open book in the other. Mm. And there's a there's a woman who looks very strong, very sort of broad across the shoulders, and she's got a, a trident in one hand, a net in the other, and she's got like this smile on her face. She looks a bit like Tala. Mm, that's cool. Aww. In in the in the very last frame, there is a man stood at the uh, prow of a ship. Ooh. He's got and he's got like a full pirate hat, long pirate coat. And there's like these weird, they kind of look like parrots, but they've got membranes instead of feathers. Just sort mm. of like behind him in the sky. And this picture seems to be moving ever so slightly. It's like a, a slight movement to it. And and he says, uh, these these are my, my children. I don't hear from them much anymore, but Flint keeps me company. Oh, devastating. They're very, very nice. Very, very handsome looking bunch. He says, because that's what we say about people's kids. He knows they're the gods, <laughs> but it's what you say. <laughs> you asked if I was the one god, well, that'd be a bit presumptuous of me. But I'm certainly a one of the gods. He, he just smiles at you as though he's answered your question. Mm. But like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Hendrix, you know damn well that he's not answered your question. What he's done is he's been evasive, which might actually like set off some, some synapses, some noise in your head but I, I don't know if it would. <laughs> he thinks it sounds like a very god-like response. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very deity-like mm-hmm. thing to say. Yeah, you know, he's, he thinks it makes a lot of sense. Maybe he's been, um, you know, maybe he's been dabbling in Arcana too long, but he thinks that made perfect sense. <laughs> uh, well, you do remember, Hendrix, for the one, people basically take all of the things of all the other gods and say that mm. the one god is responsible for it all. It's just him. Just him. Just that one guy. He does all of it. All the others are just sort of angels or messengers of his, mm. and it depends on your own take on the religion. But he's saying, no, no, they're my children. Yeah. So he clutches his jar mm-hmm. and bows his head a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, Thank you, sir. Thank you. And uh, try not to make any more deals. No, absolutely. I'll, um, I'll try and make this worth everything. And, and by that he means he's making it worth how out of the way the gods have gone for him, and also the fact that he's opted to not see his wife and son again. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah, of that definitely. all at once. It's like, we're going to make this worth it. He, he, he seems to just smile and nod at you and says, well, that's yours now, so look after it. Tala and Skylar, mm-hmm. you're stood in this room and you, you sort of turn to protect Hendrix from anything that could come and disturb what he's doing. As Hendrix turns around and sort of sits down in this doorway, you notice all the other Hendrixes start talking to their Talas and Skylars. You know they're talking, but you know they're using that ring of telepathy. Damn it, and that doesn't transfer. Because they're not saying anything, but they're all looking at each other and, like, doing the head tilts. Like, the Talas, the Talas all have the exact same expressions. It seems like Talas are very consistent people. What if my Tala says out loud, can you say that out loud? Like, if my Tala says, can you say that out loud? Do all the other Tala say that? And then does Hendrix start talking out loud? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's check You em. say, can you say that out loud? And, like, all the Talas turn and look at you. <laughs> and then they go back to having their... Private conversations. Their private conversations, oh, yeah. Definitely broke the timeline here. Oh, hello. Welcome aboard. I've been expecting you. This place... 
It's the middle bit. It's where I, Josh, speak to you, the listener, about all sorts of real-world goodness. <laughs> Don't worry, I can't really see into the future. Not in any way that matters. Relax. And I think you should have a hot mug of mulled cider. Keep away that winter chill. First, I'd like to take this moment to thank our first Ko-Fi supporter, the ever-present and very supportive Benjamin, aka Marta. All the support you've given us this year has meant the absolute world to us, Benjamin, and we couldn't be more thankful. If you would like to support us on Ko-Fi, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Slice, D-I-C-E-N-A-S-L-I-C-E, and you too can become a subscriber and you'll get a mention in every single middle bit. Second, did you know that you can rate and review on Spotify now? No? Well, you can. All you have to do is go onto our page, Dice and a Slice, on Spotify mobile, click on the three dots, select rate, and then perhaps leave us a five-star review. Consider it a holiday gift from you to us. We'd really appreciate it and it helps us reach more wonderful people like yourself. Finally, while we don't have a special festive episode this year, you can still listen to last year's festive special, episode 13, The Baldwin Express. It was a load of fun to record and hopefully can bring you a little bit of fantasy fun on your holiday break. And hey, why not make sure you're following us on all of our socials? You can find us at Dice and a Slice, D-I-C-E-N-A-S-L-I-C-E, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we'll be sharing details of all sorts of exciting things in the new year. Well, that's all from me for this year. We'll be back in 2022 with more nautical adventures and tales of daring do, including the podcast releases of Wicked Slice and The Andromeda Adventure. Huge thanks to Alicia, who's been battling with COVID to get this episode edited before the end of the year. She's done such a great job and you can't even hear her coughing through it. So from us to you, have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. And now, back to the action. And then they go back to having their... Private conversations. Their private conversations, oh, yeah. Definitely broke the timeline here. It feels like the Hendrixes are saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who that guy is. I don't know what he's got there. But that's just by the gestures that are being sent out. Mm. And then the tower rumbles again. Tara is going to peek her head out and look. If something's coming, she at least wants to know how far and what it is. You poke your head out, Tala, and you see that the stairs actually, when it gets like to the top, and it's more of a conceptual top than an actual top, Yeah. it looks as though the set of stairs goes outside, as though it might lead you around the outside of whatever this tower is onto the top of something. Okay. But there is like a single skylight about five feet wide uh, at the top, that some purple light kind of shines down from. Mm -hmm. And when you stick your head out there as well, you hear this ticking. This ticking that you guys heard a lot in the prison. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of the other Talas are looking up as well, as though this was a this is a singular Talassian thought. You don't see anything, but the tower does rumble again. I can't get a sense of where that's that that sounds like it's coming from above or below. The tower is rumbling. Above, below, the whole thing. within, without. You see anything, Tala? No, there's like a tiny window at the top that's kind of purple, but... Purple? You remember when we were in the prison and outside yeah. was all kind of purple? Oh, yeah. I can't see anything, but the tower is moving, which isn't great. As you guys have this conversation, where Hendrix is, the ticket starts to glow. It's a bright, warm light. And you guys sit, turn to look at Hendrix 
and he's not there anymore. Oh shit, Hendrix! He kind of like shouts out. Uh, Hendrix, you are directly behind Tyler and Skylar. Hendrix, fucking shit! I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm you here. You guys look at Hendrix, and his hair is well brushed <gasps> and oiled and up in like a very tight bun on the back of oh. his head. Like his sort of sullen, sunken eyes are bright. Those bags under his eyes as well, they're just like a soft purple, like a regular human. Oh my God. He's got a long coat, but that long coat is draped over like shining, bright, metallic armor. What the hell? Hendrix, you didn't sell your soul again, right? Because you look totally different. You've only got one of those. You can't keep doing that. So he kind of hot because he last thing he knew he was holding a jar. So he holds up his hands around the jar shape. It's like no, it's here. Wait, <laughs> looks at his hands. Hendrix, you hold up your jar, and you realize that on one arm you've got a shield, <gasps> like a great shield. You know these implements designed to protect people, yourself and others. Mm-hmm. And in your other hand, you know you've got Tormain in your other hand, but you look at Tormain, and that's not a rapier. That's like a dull metal. You've got a brilliant, shining longsword. Whoa! <gasps> Whoa! He's had a glow up. It <laughs> feels like it's connected to your. It's not connected to your body. It's connected to your spirit. Ooh. Your soul, your force of personality. Nice. So he stares at these like, ah, uh, ah, uh, oh. Um, and he looks at the shield to see if there's any anything on it. Uh, you look and it does have a symbol on it. It's got a single line down the middle of it. Uh. And on the inside of it, it's got uh, the word Barog, which is Irish for hug. Aww. And you look oh, at you look at your sword, <laughs> not this rapier slash staff that Tormain once was, mm-hmm. and you see emblazoned down the centre of it, sort of along the spine of the blade, in Gaelic runes, you see the word Tormain. Mm. So it is still Tormain, but now you have you've got Rumble, you've got Hug and Rumble. Hug and Rumble, guys. Hug and Rumble. Congratulations, Hendrix. You are now a level six Oath of the Watcher's Paladin. Your soul is restored to your body. You feel good. You do not feel damp. There is a distinct lack of crab. Yeah. Oh, man. I've got crab-free pockets. My hair is dry. And uh, Josh has made me an amazing paladin statue that I'm now looking at. I gotta know, though, do you have Andrew? Andrew was, um, uh, no, that was a warlock spell. No, no. Andrew, we never Andrew. got to say goodbye. <laughs> All right, oh. Andrew, you were the best of us. Hendrix, what exactly happened? You're all weird. So he looks down at himself because he doesn't know what he looks like, you know, he tries to catch his like reflection in his shield or whatever. And he's just looking down at himself like, I, I, um, go, I, I mean, at, at the risk of sounding cliche, there's no time to explain, but, um, huh, wasn't expecting this. No, I haven't made a deal, I promise. Are you sure? Because it sure <laughs> looks like you have. I can see that, and I can see that I don't have... You don't have the greatest track record for it, but I do want to give you the benefit of the doubt. I spoke to the one god. What the hell? 
As Hendrix <gasps> says that, the entire building shakes <gasps> as though being affected by an earthquake. Uh, Hendy, I don't suppose I could get my uh, shell back. Yes, he gives you, he gives it back to you. Like, Thank you so much for that. Tala's getting combat anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. As you hand over that shell, you feel an infinite set of eyes look at you, Hendrix. This shining beacon of everything that has brought the other Hendrixes to this point. And there's one set of eyes in particular that you feel looking at you with a mix of anger, resentment, but pride. Uh, Those must be the emotions of a son. And the shaking (laughs) and quaking of this building is accompanied by an infinite number of voices pointing at you, Hendrix, and yelling, Tormaine. And bolts of eldritch energy fly oh, no. through the air towards you. <gasps> oh, come on, guys. As they do, you instinctively bring your shield up and it absorbs the force of the impact. Fuck yeah. And you feel like some of the blasts weren't aimed at you, they're aimed at your friends. <gasps> Hendrix? <laughs> but your shield, your shield still absorbs the energy from these blasts. Nice. Hendrix, your shield, Barog, can give the uh, Shield of Faith spell effect to you oh. and two other members of your party. <gasps> guys! Oh. Increasing their AC by two, so long as they are within 10 feet of you. Stay close, Yay. guys. Tala definitely yells at the other Hendrixes. It's like, hey, don't make me come up there. Cut that out! At every single other Hendrix. <laughs> All of the other Talas are telling off the other Hendrixes. Yeah, and then they all turn and start to go up the stairs. Does that mean the ones behind us come towards us? They look like they're waiting for you to go. Oh. (laughs) I mean, do we go? We've got nothing else prepared, right? Yeah. Do you guys head up the stairs? Yeah, let's let's do it. Also, Tyler's just going to tap Hendrix on his shoulder and be like, Hey, bud, just in case, you know you've still got that drink of rage, right? I did not know that. I'm just saying, it might be a tough battle. You might want to use Hendy's it. Hendy's still got angry juice. He's going to give it to Tala. Because he's like, I, I'm i trying this new self-improvement thing, and I think I don't want to rage on day one. I ain't. I'll have it. I'm good. If, Sky- if Skylar wants it, you can have you it. You can have it. All right, he'll get to Skylar. Like, there you go. I don't trust myself angry today. I'm trying to be good. <laughs> You guys turn to go up the stairs. Following in the tracks of these other Tala, Skylars, and Hendrixes. As you follow them, you realize that the set of stairs, you walk up it for a bit, and then you find yourself at this doorway that leads outside the tower. And it wasn't as far as you thought it would be, yet you feel like it could have been further. It's as though the door manifested because that was when it needed to manifest itself there. Mm-hmm. You see the other versions of yourselves. When they go through that door, they vanish or they leave your perception. Okay. Is is it safe to go through, do we think? I guess we've not got much else. Yeah, I don't really think we have much choice. I think we're going to have to go through. You step through the doorway? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You step through the doorway. And as you do, this light ticking becomes all-encompassing. It becomes incredibly loud. And you guys remember when you were in the prison... I assigned you points of madness. Oh, uh, yes. Just letting you know that I still have those written down. Tala's consciously ignoring this fucking ticking because she knows it fucked her up last time. Hendrix was given two points of madness. 
Skylar was also given two points of madness. Oh, yeah. And I never told Tala how many points of madness she has. 50. Endless. I've actually gone so mad, I've come back round to sanity. So, <laughs> yeah. joke's well, on you. that's what you think you've done. Yeah. As, as is often <laughs> the I'm way. I'm so crazy, I'm sane. Yeah, absolutely. But you feel this just pervasive ticking in your head and you're able to ignore it, but it's still there even when you ignore it. And as you turn just to see where you've come from, you can't see the other versions of yourselves. And if you were to step back through the door, you wouldn't be able to see them either. Mm -hmm. And it's very quiet here. There's an eerie quiet about the place, apart from the ticking of the clocks. And you can still hear the sound of something falling, but you can't tell what it is. So when you say the sound of something falling, do you mean the sound of something falling and landing? Or... No, like the just the sound of something. Yeah, just just like the of something falling. Yeah. If we look up, can we see anything? Do you all look up? Yes. Uh, yeah. You all look up, and for a second, like a slight second, you see Hendrix's face, his old face, looking through like a hole, and it's sort of a slightly oval-shaped hole. And then stepping back, holding a hand over it, and letting go of something. What the fuck? And you see a pitten. You see a <laughs> we're in the toilet. <laughs> Not necessarily, but also, yes, necessarily. I mean, we're definitely in the toilet. Yeah, absolutely. I got 10 pittons at the beginning of this game and I'm determined to find uses for them. And so far, they're very useful. Stopping traps. Does that mean Hendrix can get his pitten back? Yes, I shall never <laughs> not have ten pittens. The pitten doesn't fall far from near the enough tree. to you to catch. Uh, the pitten never falls far from the tree. I hate you. <laughs> um, but you are aware Stunning. that the, the pitten falls and you watch it go, Hendrix, your heart is probably slightly gladdened. Like once it goes beyond your eye line falling down, it starts to fall from where your eye line starts up above. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is an infinity toilet. It is an infinity toilet. Is it gaining velocity? Nope. It, it reaches its terminal velocity and maintains it. Good. What can we see in the rest of this room then, DM? You're Dare I currently ask? next to a wall on a set of stairs on the outside of a tower. Oh, I see. Would you like to go up the stairs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You guys go up the stairs. There's no handrail or anything. It feels precarious. You don't want to fall because you'll be falling forever. <laughs> you reach the top. It doesn't take you long at all. And at the top of this set of stairs, you see seven pillars. They're arranged around the outside of this big circular top of the tower. And in the middle, there's a little indent where this purple skylight would have been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's all that you see. The stone is cold beneath your feet. The air is filled with this ticking, but between the ticks, there's silence infinitely. And then... A single metallic claw comes up mm. down the other side of the tower, mm. and it's huge. Ooh. This claw is easily the size of one of you. Oh, mm. fuck. As the giant, dusty bronze claw of a huge clockwork steampunk dragon climbs over the edge of the tower, you hear its joints clicking and whirring and there's like something in there that stretches and you hear it stretch you feel the atmosphere stretch with it as it moves Ugh. and it pulls itself between these pillars and looks at the three of you tilting its head in a sort of predatory look and there's something about it 
that tells you that it's not a hundred percent there. Mm-hmm. There's something animalistic about it, similar to the tiger that you guys fought outside the temple. And then it stands there. It's now an owlbear. Oh, it's big. motherfucker. And it adopts a posture of, well, it adopts a predatory pose, basically. It sort of gets down on its haunches, its wings flare out, and you see that these huge spits of canvas are stretched between what look like great bronze spears. And then its mouth sort of opens slightly, and you see black smoke pour out and it starts to rumble. Its chest starts to rumble. Mm. And then all of these little statues, blue sparks just appear around them. Oh God. And it takes a step forwards and all of these statues launch lightning into the body of this creature. Oh my God. It's a boss fight, guys. And it absorbs it. Oh no. And you see it sparking between the wings, points of the wings, and it rolls its head from side to side as though it's shaking off years of fatigue and then black smoke fills the low lying parts of the arena coming up to just like your shin height roll initiative Ooh, fuck me <laughs> fuck <gasps> I rolled a nat 20 guys nice nice job I rolled a 13 Tala's surveying the uh, situation I rolled a 5 first up Hendrix you have an extra action on your first go. Stunning. So, I'm gonna bless. Hendrix, you immediately, on seeing this creature, want to protect your friends, and you, Hendrix, you hang on to Barog, hug in your native language, and you guys feel this warmth around you, like like a hug. Aww. And Hendrix, you do this, and you feel, like, connected with your friends. Yay! Like you're all arm in arm, even if you're not necessarily. What would you like to do next? You know what? He's he's there, like, trying to work, because he doesn't know what he can do. He's there, like, like, he can feel the instinct of all these new God-given abilities in him, but he doesn't know what they are. He can tell that he's not going to be able to figure that out and do any of this stuff that's in him and concentrate on protecting the others at the moment. And then he remembers, wait, I'm not a warlock anymore. Yeah. And he looks at his armor and his sword and shield It's like, Apparently I'm melee now. So he's, <laughs> you know, he's used to standing at the back and throwing spells and he's like, I think I'm meant to hit it. So he's yeah. gonna, he's gonna run forward. How far can I go? You can get right up next to it, in fact. So he's gonna charge at it and smack it. Hendrix, roll me two hits. Roll me to hit twice. So that is 24. Did you add your additional d4 as well? No. 27. 27 will hit, yes. Uh, roll damage for your first hit. That's 1d8 plus 6. 1d8 plus 6. That's 12. 12! And how do I divine smite? I can spend a spell slot to do it. You can spend a first level spell slot or a second level spell slot. Second one, second level will do 3d8. I'm going to save those spell slots. That's fair. Add an additional 2d8. You will have another attack with your sword on this turn, just so you're aware. Amazing. Okay, so I've done 12 plus another 2d8, so that's 23. Nice. Hendrix, you run up to this metallic dragon. You notice as you get closer, it's dripping like black tar from it. Mm. And you lift Tormain above your head. You bring it against one of the front claws and you manage to hack in and you think you like make contact with some sort of mechanical tendon, perhaps. Mm. But you're you're not quite sure. And But you hit and you know you hit and that feels good and you channel that feeling of just... <laughs> 
fuck whatever this is. Mm. And you send some radiant energy coursing through it and it reacts as though it's been like burned with fire. Amazing. Um, make your second attack. Oh, I rolled a nat 20. <gasps> wow. Damn. As a paladin, if you add a smite to a critical hit, the smite dice get doubled as well. Oh, I might have to do that then. I know it's going to cost another spell, but you know what? You're going to do that first level or second level? I'm going to do it second level. Damn. Can you roll me 8d8 plus 6 for your damage? That's 50. Do you want me to send you a screen cap to prove it? You don't need to send me a screen cap. Hendrix, you charge forward, you make your first slash, you channel in that radiant energy, and that feels good. And instead of lifting your sword up to try and, like, go for a second slash, you just lean on it. There's still an element of, like, the old Hendrix still there, kind of underhanded, dirty tactics. And you lean into it, putting all of your strength into it, using your force of will to just hurt this creature and you slice through something it's hard to know what and you feel this radiant energy this joy this this feeling of of greatness course from your body into this creature and you watch as the bronze metal starts to heat up and like steam rises from the arm and this creature recoils like the Mm. claw that you hit looking at you and it's got a mechanical face, but it feels frightened. Ooh. Hendrix, you've just dealt 73 damage in one turn. <gasps> this is a new experience. <laughs> Four of the dragon statues spark, and you guys watch as a single arc of lightning moves between these ones in the four corners in the cross mm-hmm. shape. Seems to seems to strike at Nev in a restorative way. Okay. And then you see as three of these dragon statues start to articulate and they leave the statues that they're on. Well, fuck. So the one on the other side of this tower gets up and it starts flapping its wings and you see like smoke rising from it as though it's using as much of its energy as it can to get over to you guys. The two uh, on either side of it basically fly towards Skylar and Tala, both of whom I'm going to need to make a dexterity saving throw, please. Oh, and we don't have Hendrix near us. Damn it. <laughs> Shit, I'm so sorry. You've left us. Um, remember, you guys are blessed, so you can add a d4 to your save. Do I have advantage for this? Yeah, you've got danger sense. Does that help me in any way? Yes, it does, yes. Because as these little dragons fly up to you, two of them from either side let out these cones of fire. Oh, I got a 17. I rolled a 21. Okay, Tala and Skylar, you see these little dragons fly towards you and you both know what's coming. Like, they're little mm-hmm. dragons. They're going to be doing some sort of breath attack on you. You've you, no, no one's ever seen a dragon, but you guys know like what to expect you've read the stories Mm -hmm. so you move out the way but because there's two of them breathing these cones of fire at you you get out the way of most of it but you are still caught ever so slightly just by the residual heat you both succeeded on the saving throw so you will only take eight fire damage each and then next in the initiative is skylar okay i wish to disappear so is there anything that I can hide behind? If you can get to them, you could hide behind the pillars. Yeah, okay. So I think I would like to have the benefit of being able to have my sneak attacks okay. um, by just disengaging. Yep. 
and sneaking now to hide. Where would you like to try and hide? Which pillar would you like to try and hide behind? Um, the one to your left, you can just about get behind. Yeah, I'll do that. Roll to stealth for me, please. Ooh, I rolled shit. So that's a 15. So, Skylay, you see these little mechanical dragons around you. They've just breathed fire. You sort of faint forwards and then faint back as they slash at the air. Not even anywhere near where you were, just where they thought that you were going to be. Hmm. And you scamper off and move behind one of these pillars. You hunker down. Next up, Tala. Tala. You look around and Skylar is suddenly not there. Hendrix, Hendrix is beating the ever-loving crap out of a huge mechanical dragon. Yeah, super far from me, and I'm surrounded by three tiny dragons. Sorry. <laughs> no, all good. Um, there's really no point, but Tala is just going to take a step towards the big dragon, towards Hendrix. Um, I'm aware these dragons can move and then flank me again, but she's just going to get out of flanking with them. Okay. Um, I'm going to bonus action rage, please. Cool. And she's going to smack the one on the right, the one to her right. So, Tala, you look around, you notice Skylar's not there. You step out from between these two, two or three tiny mechanical dragons. You allow this serene rage to sort of overcome you, and you level your trident at it and lunge. That's a dirty 20 to hit. Which hits. Roll damage, please. So that, oh, I rolled bad. That's seven damage plus two rage damage, so nine. Nine. And then do they take psychic damage? Tala, you extend your trident towards this creature. You manage to actually, like, gum up some of the mechanical workings inside it. Mm -hmm. And you try to like scramble its brain using that crystal that's embedded in this in the trident you don't feel that connection that you sometimes feel when you use it mm -hmm. these creatures are immune to psychic damage that's fair so would you allow me to switch weapons before my next attack oh go on then go on then tarlet tarlet she senses that the psychic and like the magic of her trident isn't quite like doing its job so she's gonna whip out the silver rapier mm -hmm. nice because she knows that that's magic too and she's gonna poke him with it that's a 21 to hit a 21 does hit yes roll damage that is 14. tyler you drop your trident you draw the rapier you feel the trident move to where it always moves to where it's always stowed mm -hmm. as you draw the rapier you swirl it and you stab at these little this little mechanical dragon and as you're point of rapier enters in you feel something burst nice and the wings stop flapping as this black ichor just sort of pours out through the chest cavity and this thing just falls to the floor like a like a woodworker's toy just dead Ooh, nice, nice. Well that's cool well done Tala's gonna use her free speech to growl at the dragons that are left to try and spook them uh, they growl back <laughs> perfect love it dragon's turn Hendrix you see specifically you're close enough to see the inner workings start moving and mm -hmm. while everything else has been happening it's been very still reacting really only to you yeah. and then you see this black smoke swirl around and pick up as the gears and mechanisms within it whir up and get fully to speed oh. it takes a deep breath in oh boy here comes some fire it takes a deep breath in steps around and actually steps out of your uh, attack range, Hendrix, so you can make an opportunity attack if you want. Oh, yeah, I'll hit it. Oh, I rolled a nat one. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> Hendrix, you pull your sword out of this creature's claw and you try and smack it again that you just swipe at the air. As it takes some steps back, the wings fold open and these, like, little vents on the back of it 
start to churn out black smoke as you see <laughs> the fire rumbling within the chest. Oh, fuck. And then it releases hot tar. Oh, no! Laced with fire oh. that streams out of its mouth like hellish vomit. And I need all of you to make me a dexterity saving throw. Skylar, add five to your score. I've got 27. 24. 24, nice. Dirty 20. Uh, you've all saved. You will all take half damage. Oh, um, that's a bad roll. You guys take 15 fire damage as this tar, this hot tar sort of splatters around you. Oh. Hendrix, you're able to get behind your shield, which takes sort of the, the most of it. Tala, you're actually able to like just duck out of the way right at the edge of this cone of hot tar. Skylar, you think you're safe behind, but there's just enough that sort of splatters around the edges of it to just catch you every now and again. And it's really hot tar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, checks out. And then Hendrix, the creature looks at you uh. and its, ta its tail just kind of like articulates ever so slightly. Mm. And you feel like it's egging you on. Okay. That is its turn. Next up, Hendy. Okay, I'll come help Tala because you got these two guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you'll get my boost. Yeah. So yeah, Hendrix is gonna go by the logic of if the demon tells me to attack it, I should do the opposite thing. Smart. Hendrix, as you move away, <gasps> a mechanism fires in the neck of this creature and its head, still dripping with this hot tar, shoots forwards and tries to grab at your arm with its teeth. Oh, no. don't like Gross. that. Its neck shoots forward. That's oh, horrible. I hate it. Well, and and head as well. Yeah, I know. But the fact that its neck just—it's like alien. The mouth yeah. inside yeah. the mouth. Uh, that is a twenty-six to hit Hendrix. <laughs> that gets me. You take sixteen piercing damage as the teeth clamp around your arm as you try to pull away. You manage to just pull out using your shield to sort of bonk it as you leave, and you're able to get over to these little clockwork beasts. You may now take your turn. Oh, I've lost like 30 damage in two goes. Mm. That's not good. You did like 74. I can smack you with the healing stone if you'd like. I mean, <laughs> stone of healing. It works, doesn't it? Stone of healing. Um, right, okay, so I'm gonna attack these guys. Do it, smack them. I'm gonna smack the one in front of me. Roll to hit. Um, Hendrix, I actually need to make, make two constitution saving throws, please. Oh, okay. You're looking to beat 10 with both of them. 25 for the first one, and 23 for the second one. Cool, yeah. You are able to keep up, bless. That's 21. That hits, roll damage. Why can't I add three and six? Nine, that's nine. <laughs> nine slashing damage from Hendrix as the first hit lands. Roll again. Uh-huh, that's 28. That hits, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for goodness sakes, seven. Hendrix, you leave the toothy maw of this great mechanical dragon and move towards the smaller ones, knowing that you'll be able to help your friends better in doing so. You run up to this little dragon, you give it one quick swipe with Tormain, and then you come down again, hoping to finish it, hoping to catch whatever it is that Tara was able to pierce. You dink it twice, and it looks like the dinks take, uh, not quite reducing this creature to death, but certainly harming it ever so slightly as the membranes between the wings start to tear at the weight of it trying to support itself in the air. Yeah. The four statues that have been crackling with electricity crackle once more, and this time the lightning that forms between them doesn't cross in the centre, instead forming a square. 
Hendrix and Tala, can you both please roll me a constitution saving throw? Uh -oh. oh, constitution? Fuck yeah, I'm good at those. I got a 28. I got a 10. Hendrix, you will take two lightning damage. Tala, you will take one lightning damage. Wow, Just baby. As this lightning forming between the four of them in that square shape just lightly, lightly electrocutes you. Is the square shape over us, sorry, or is it just in the room? It's over you. I see. Okay, sorry. Sorry, yeah. So, so Tyler and Hendrix, you're currently stood between two of these statues, even though they're quite far away from you. And you see this sort of arc of lightning form between the two of them, using the two of you as conduits for it. Ah. And it sort of moves through you, connecting the square, and then the square just dissipates very quickly again. Okay. Next up is the two little clockwork ones in front of Hendrix and Tala. Uh, what's going to happen is Hendrix, the one that you attacked, is going to turn to you. And I just need to roll a d6 quickly. Nope. It's going to turn to you, Hendrix, and it's going to try to bite you with its little tiny, teeny, tiny dragon teeth. That's a 16 to hit you, Hendrix, which I assume doesn't hit. That does not hit me. And Tala, the other one, is going to turn to you and try and bite you. That is a 15 to hit, -uh. which also doesn't hit, as these two little mechanical dragons sort of float in the air. Well, one of them floating in the air quite easily, the other one struggling really to maintain its height. They try and bite at you, but you guys just move your shields almost in unison to intercept these blows. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, rad. Yeah. That's rad as hell, guys. Teamwork. Teamwork. Nice. Next up, Skylar. Okay, I am going to... Uh, I'm assuming the one that I'm crouched behind is a bit too close. Um, the, the thing you're behind appears to be a statue, to all intents and purposes. You, it's oh, not, it's not moving. Oh, it's okay. not moving. No. Take it out because those four working together—that's a bad situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, am I allowed? Am I able to attack it? You can attack it. Yes. Um, oh, this is interesting because it's not a creature. You can't necessarily have advantage to attack it, but also it can't <gasps> try and evade your movement. Okay. I'm gonna give you advantage on it, just for this instance. Yeah. You're hiding. You're hiding well enough to to elude stone. <laughs> I might use moon tooth. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's much better. I got an 18. <laughs> from your advantageous position, well obscured from this statue behind its own eyeballs, you seize the opportunity to make a backstab sneak attack against it, drawing moon tooth and seeing like a little point where this little dragon aspect of the statue sort of is almost like looping around a central pillar mm -hmm. almost as though it's like a dragon curled around a tower for example mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and you see like a little seam and you just wedge Moontooth up in there and you start to lever up trying to do some damage uh, roll damage for me I got a 16 nice 16 lovely you managed to like lever off a significant chunk of the dragon portion of this statue and actually it looks as though you could just reach up and, and pull the rest of it off, and that would that would remove the dragon part of this little statue. But then can I hide? Um, it would be your bonus action to grab it and rip it off. Okay, I break off the statue. You do so. Skylar, as you grab onto this last bit of, of the dragon statue, loosened by Moontooth, you, you pull it off, and you look, and actually you see that this is another one of those mechanical dragons, um, imperceptible from a normal statue. As you pull it off, it like looks at you, goes, looks as though it's going to launch an attack, but just goes limp in your yeah. hand. Nice. I want to keep it as a pet. It's limp oh, and dead, Skylar. 
That's the end of your turn, Skylar. Tala. So Tala is going to take a couple steps forward. So I'm still diagonally within 10 feet of Hendrix, mm -hmm. but I'm flanking little dragon yep. boy and she's gonna smack it. Mm -hmm. So that is a 23 to hit. 23 hits, roll damage. That is 12 damage for that hit. Lovely stuff, Tala. As you lunge forward with your rapier, hoping to find that same little fuel sack mm -hmm. that you punctured before. Doing some damage, you feel it, it goes in through the metal components and it starts to drip ever so slightly. Probably needs a bit more of a trauma than just a little prick. Nice, nice. I will stab you again. Ooh. 22. 22 hits, roll damage. That's another 12, please. Tala, as you pierce this dragon again, this little tiny dragon, your rapier charges through and again it knocks loose this weird fuel sack that starts to leak. Nice. Tala and Hendrix, please roll me a dexterity saving throw. Ooh. Tala, roll me, roll me two. 27 for the first one. And that is a solid 12 for the second one. Ooh. You succeed both saves. Hendrix, what was yours? Well, well done. Uh, 23. Tala, you take 13 points of fire damage. Hendrix, you take seven points of fire damage. As the two uh, discontinued corpses of these clockwork dragons begin to fizz and get hot. And you see, Tala, that this black ichor leaking out of them is flammable. You know it's flammable because when the bodies explode, sending brass shrapnel everywhere, you feel this hot tar again against your skin. Why uh. did they explode? There was nothing fire nearby. Or is that just like, it seems like they're just triggered to explode. They are just triggered to explode. So she's going to take a couple other steps across so that she is um, flanking with Hendrix for the last little guy that's left. Okay. And Tala's going to smack this one with her shield. Roll to smack with your shield. Absolutely. <gasps> I got a natural 20 on my smack. Ooh, double nice. double your shield dice. Double my baby shield dice. Nice. So 10 damage total. Lovely. And if, if possible, now that I know that they explode with my nat 20, if you will allow, Tala would like to smack it far enough away that when it explodes, it is not within range of me and Hendrix. Absolutely. Just like into a wall at nice. the side. Nicely Tala, done. you dodge the explosion from these two dragons. You move towards the next one, bringing up your shield. You just extend your arm and bat it. It's still flying, it's flying limply. And as you smack it, it's like the equivalent of almost like hitting a chicken, which is a very weird niche uh, <laughs> reference, but it's that sort of, that sort of vibe. You smack it, okay. and you sm you actually smack it behind you, Tyler, off the edge of the tower. Oh, nice. And as it falls downwards, you feel the spike on your shield impact with whatever it is that's inside this creature. You feel it burst. You look at your shield. It's got that little black tar on it as well. And you watch as the dragon flies off the edge, and as it falls, you just hear this small explosion going off. And then you see its body fall. Oh my god, it comes back round! From above. Ah. Seeing this, oh, Atnev jumps and lands, one foot crushing the remnants of the statue that Skylar was hiding behind. Oh, <gasps> hello! With its first attack, it turns to Skylar. <gasps> no! Who's directly in front of it as it does so. No. It looks down at you, Skylar, and you become aware of just how intensely huge this creature is as it bears down upon you with its teeth. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. That's a 27 to hit, Skylar. Yeah. Skylar, you take 
17 points of piercing damage as its teeth bite into your flesh. It then turns and sees Hendrix next to it. And with its right claw, it like reaches round as if trying to grab you, Hendrix. That is going to be Uh. a... That's a 27 to hit. Yeah, 27 hits. 27 hits Hendrix as like a claw flies towards you just like around the side doing 13 slashing damage. Ah! Boy, oh boy! And then the tail behind it whips up and Tala, you see this tail fly towards you. Of course it fucking does. For a 24 to hit. Ah, yeah, that will hit. Tala, you take 15 bludgeoning damage (gasps) half because you are raging. Finally, it's bludgeoning damage! (laughs) (laughs) You take 7 bludgeoning damage, Tala. Oh, fucking dream. You guys see as this creature has a mechanism within it then whirs up again. You see some of the scales that have been pointing out ever so slightly, just like sink in against the creature. Do we think these statues, now there's only three of them, will they be out of commission or do we need to take them all out, do you think? I, I couldn't. I don't mm. know. Because mm. it's like, is it about the fact that they connect? Mm. As this dragon jumps over, crushing a statue, biting Skylar, clawing at Hendrix and clobbering Tala over the head with a tail attack. You guys feel something weird happen in the air as like these vents and plates on this creature sort of fold in and you hear its internal mechanism fire up. You hear the ticking of the clocks then like start (laughs) getting even more weird and it sounds labored it sounds like they're really struggling to keep with their own consistent inconsistency oh okay and then in the middle of the tower at the very center there's a flash of orange (gasps) oh l'orange l'orange and you see l'orange appear he looks Tired, more tired than he did when you left him not so long ago. Oh, buddy, you should be resting. He's like Gandalf just staggering towards the Balrog. Oh, Laurent. And he appears uh, with Zoe, Zara, and Z as well. Oh, oh yes. no. And they're next to him, and they're basically supporting him at this point. Mm-hmm. And he looks up. Skylar, you can't quite see him. No, that's fair. But he points towards you three, and suddenly, like, out of the floor and out of the air, all of these tiny little clockwork creatures appear. Mm-hmm. Like they're scurrying out of the stone, scurrying through space. Aww. And you feel them sort of scuttle around you and you feel this healing energy Ooh, yes. move within you Yay. all. Um, so there's 100 hit points available to you all to distribute <gasps> between yourselves. Amazing. Okay. So shall we all take 33? Yeah. Oh, Larange. Yes, let's all take, let's all take that. Larange appears, these tiny mechanical creatures swarm around you, filling you with life is the easiest way to describe that. Mm. And as he appears, Atnev looks at him and the atmosphere sours. Oh yeah. And you watch as Larange squints at Atnev and Larange just disappears along with Zoe, Zara and Z in another flash of orange. He leaves something behind, a little bronze sphere, but you can't quite tell what it is. We've got to get that sphere. Mm -hmm. And then Atnev begins to rumble. 
and get hot. Oh, no. And you feel like your fight is far from over. And we'll pick up next time. Fuck me. What a cliffhanger. Amazing. What new powers has Hendrix unlocked? Why did Laurent suddenly appear and then disappear? And how will our crew defeat Atnev? Well, only time will tell next time on Dice in a Slice. I was really hoping that you just have a net on the wall, <laughs> or like just this beautifully framed picture of a net. Is it is it a woman called a net? <laughs> a net yeah, yeah it's, it's just, it's just holding a picture saying I'm a net. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>